You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, as Jesus and his disciples traveled over to Tyre and Sidon, which is this region kind of north to the, to the west of Galilee, over by the sea coast of the Mediterranean, there was a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite, Matthew tells us, who came to him and begged him, to have mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, this is the topic that we want to take up today, the second in three sermons on spiritual warfare, and today we want to consider the demons. What are they? What is their work? How is it that we are delivered and protected from them? Now, we remember from last week this central statement from St. Paul that has to do with spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, there's other places where the apostle speaks of these ranks. And we know from those that that's what he's talking about here. Spiritual hosts of wickedness, the principalities and powers and rulers, these are the different names in the Scriptures, the demons. Who are these guys? Where do they come from? We know first that sometime during the six days of creation, the Lord created all of the angels, beings who were created to worship Him and to serve His creation. At some time early on in creation, the devil was tempted with pride and fell from his high office. And along with him, in that rebellion, a number of the other angels also rebelled against God. As close as we can guess, looking at Revelation 12, we think that probably a third of the angels fell. And these fallen angels left their place, and instead of serving God, living in the light, and promoting life, They live in darkness and fight against God, and they come to steal and kill and destroy. These are the demons. The Bible gives them a number of different names. I've got a long list with all the Bible references. In fact, this sermon might be one you want to pick up a manuscript of, because I'm not going to read all the references here. But here are a few names that the demons have. Spirit, or evil spirit, or unclean spirit, or dumb spirit. Spirit of infirmity, spirit of divination, demon, oftentimes, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, or an unclean demon, or a demonic entity, or simply angel. The word that we have in our Gospel reading from Matthew 15 is this word, demon, that's there. And these are those angels who left their station and have become, in every way, enemies of God's order. Now, there are a few important things for us to remember about the demons. The first is that they are created. They are not gods. They are not eternal. They are not equal with God. They are, in fact, finite. It means that they are not everywhere. They are not omnipresent like God is, but that they relate to individual places in this world. And it's also helpful for us to remember that the demons are outnumbered by the angels. The demons are strong, And they have a degree of intelligence, but their strength and their intelligence is also limited. And it's always being used by God to 
to mysteriously advance his own purposes. Now, what is it that the demons are doing? Here, here's the definition of the works of the demons that's from the Bible study that we're going to start here in a few weeks on Sunday morning on angels and demons. The definition of the works of the demons goes like this. The evil angels, being since the fall, enemies of God and of his children, are under their princes, ever bent upon destroying the works of God, counteracting his purposes, promoting evil, and though subject to God's supreme dominion and control and confined within the bounds of his permission, they are in various ways occupied in strengthening their kingdom and exerting their power in the minds and bodies of mankind. There are various terms that the New Testament uses to describe the afflictions that the demons bring to people, and they are as follows. A person having a spirit, a person with a spirit, a person having a demon, a person being demonized, or a person being troubled or vexed by a demon. In the gospel lesson that we have in Matthew 15, the woman, the Canaanite woman says that her daughter was oppressed by a demon, but in fact the word for it is simply she was demonized. It's the, it's the verb form of the noun demon. But what does that mean? Our friend uh, Dr. Kleinig has done some work on this, and he found, especially in the medieval theologians, that there are three different levels or three different degrees of demonic work. Oppression, obsession, and possession. Again, oppression, obsession, and possession. Demonic oppression is indicated by a guilty conscience. And the result of demonic oppression is a loss of the assurance of salvation and of God's mercy. And this is the common attack of the demons on all of us. Demonic obsession is indicated by the persistent presence of evil desires and passions. And the result of demonic obsession is a loss of control. Obsession often manifests itself in addiction, not having self-control and being snared and trapped in a sin. The third level of activity is demonic possession, which happens with a Christian through their capitulation to the rule of the demons and results in a loss of self. We see this demon possession as a severe level of demonic activity, especially in the gospel lessons. The old Lutherans would here make another distinction when it comes to the possession of the demons, and they would talk about the difference between spiritual possession and bodily possession. The devil possesses spiritually all of the unbelievers, but no believers. Bodily possession is different and happens when a demon takes control of a person's body. And again, we see this a number of times in the gospel. Remember the two men who lived out in the tombs and they would tear the chains off of their body. Or, or the, uh, the boy who was thrown into the water and into the fire. The old Lutherans, again, these old Lutheran theologians who had a lot to say about this, in fact, they listed ten different marks of demon possession including supernatural strength or knowledge of unknown languages or future events and things like this. And we'll study all these in this Bible study. 
Now, it also seems to us, and this is important, this is where we kind of get down to the nitty-gritty, it seems like there are specific ways that the demons gain access to a person's heart and into a person's conscience. The demons want to tempt us into darkness, into, into spiritual darkness, and there gain access to us. Now, we know these areas of darkness, and the Ten Commandments, in fact, outline it for us, that when the devil or the demons can tempt us into particular sins, then they have us where they want us. So, the Ten Commandments, for example, sinning against the first table, and especially sins of blasphemy, or idolatry, or occult activity, satanic activity, drug use, and such, this seems like it gives the demons special access. Or sins against the second table of the law, rebellion, or sexual immorality, or abuse, these also bring us into a place of spiritual darkness. And we have over and over indications that through these things, it's like the door is left unlocked so that the demons can more easily force their way in. And what is it they want to do? What are they up to? What is their purpose and their goal? The demons are, in every way, enemies of God's order. They want to destroy the church and the family and the state. They fight against God's order wherever it is manifest. This means that the demons are busy fighting against you. And first, they are fighting against your faith in Christ. Second, they fight against your love for your neighbor. And the third fight is against your hope in the future and the life of the world to come. And the way that they do this is through temptation. To tempt us to unbelief, that's the fight of faith, to despair, to all sorts of shame, sin, vice. This is their work. Now, how, the, how this works, at least to me, is a mystery. I, I don't know. How the, how the demons are able to tempt us. The close, I think the closest scripture that we have that explains this is the, is the verse that we'll hear in the Passion of Jesus where it says that the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Remember that text? But it seems like the devil and the demons can put it into our heart or put it into our mind to sin. This is the mechanism of temptation, to incite in us a sinful desire, in our heart or in our mind, to, to, to tempt the flesh away from what the Lord has commanded. And they do this because the demons want us to sin, to break God's law. This, in fact, is the first wave of temptation. The demons love this because every sin that we commit is an act of rebellion against God, and it does harm, not only to us, but to those around us. And it does physical harm, and it does spiritual harms. Sin in every way brings death, and that's bad enough. But the demons want us to sin so that then they can come with a second wave of temptation, which has to do with how you relate to your own sin. Now, this is really where the demons love to do your work. How do you relate to your sin? There's probably three different ways that the devil and the demons get after us. The first is pride. So that the demons tempt you to say, look, nobody was hurt. That sin that you did, that person deserved it. God wants me to be happy or whatever sort of self-justifying nonsense that best suits the moment. The, the demons want you to be secure in your sin. And this hardens the conscience. When the demons do this, they're pushing us to patterns of sin, which then becomes habits of sin. Vice is what we call it. And the devil especially loves to use these sins to push us towards addiction on the one hand 
and towards hurting our neighbor and sinning against each other on the other hand. So the, de- the devil wants you to deal with your sin by pride. Or the other direction, he'll push you to despair, to, to tempt you to relate to your sin with despair and despondency and self-loathing. How could you do that? And you call yourself a Christian. God can't possibly love you. He probably hates you. That's how the demons sound when they tempt you towards despair. And oftentimes, it seems to me, the devil uses our despair to make us feel unclean or unholy, unworthy, like we're too dirty to come to church or to read the Bible or to touch the holy things. The third option that the demons love, and this is especially when they get someone to sin against you, is to tempt you to anger. That person that did that thing to me, that said that thing, that acted that way, they don't deserve my love or my kindness. That's the demons tempting you to deal with the sin committed against you, not with mercy and forgiveness, but with vengeance and wrath. It's the voice of the demons. Now, all of us are right in the middle of all three of these things. All of us are being tempted to deal with our own sin by pride or despair or anger. And the problem is that all of us are sinners, that that the devil has an ally in our sinful flesh and he has evidence against us because we sin and we fall and we listen to the voice of the demons and we uh, we defend our sin and we despair of God's mercy and we fail to love our neighbors. In fact, we start to hate them. And while we might not be possessed by the demons, we are constantly oppressed by them day and night. So what do we do? What's our defense? How do we fight back? The first thing, I think, is to remember that every single time we're told about the demons in the Bible, we are told about their overthrow and their destruction. Not once does a demon get talked about in the Bible as victorious, but every time they're defeated. When the Canaanite woman in the Gospel comes to Jesus praying for For her demonized daughter, after a while, Jesus answers her prayer, and her daughter is healed instantly, just like that, by the will of Christ. Jesus, it seems to us, because we do hear about the demons in the Old Testament, and also later on in the book of Acts and in the other epistles in the New Testament, but not like in the gospel. There's a there's a huge concentration of demonic activity in the life and ministry of Jesus, and it seems then like Jesus is a is a porch light, and the demons are like the June bugs who are who are drawn to him. They swarm all around them. But every single time, Jesus casts them out and he sends them away and he overthrows them and he gives the authority to overthrow them to his church. Remember this glorious verse we heard last week from Luke 10. Jesus says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And he's not talking about just snakes and bugs. He's talking about the demons. And we know that. Why? The next and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The demons want us to forget this, to be intimidated by them, to forget that one little word of Christ will fell them. Now there are, in this life and in the church, exceptional cases of demonic trouble. I mean, we hear about these sometimes, of cases where special prayer and deliverance is needing needed uh, times where we need exorcism, times where, like the disciples found out, they were trying to throw out a demon and, and they couldn't. And so Jesus says this type comes out only through prayer and fasting. 
There are exceptional cases. And I want to encourage all of you, if you know of an exceptional situation, or if you are troubled by something like this in your family or with your neighbors, something that you think is of an exceptional sort, please give me a call and let's find a time to sit down and talk that through. But beyond these exceptional cases, there are there is a normal spiritual fight against the devil and against the demons that all of us are engaged in. And the fight happens in two different ways. I'm going to pull an illustration again from Dr. Kleinig. He told the story of how uh, he had a garbage heap in his garden and that it, was inf- it became infested with rats and that there were two ways to get rid of the rats. The first was that you poisoned them and the second is that you get rid of the garbage. You have to add something that repulses them and you have to take away what attracts them, you see? And this is our own spiritual life as well. We have to add something that, that repulses the demons and we have to take away the stuff that attracts them. So we add in God's word and prayer and we take away the garbage of sin and guilt and shame. I remember, I think I've told you guys this story. I remember growing up in Texas and maybe once a year or twice a year, my mom would, would fumigate the house for bugs. She had some sort of canister thing that she would shake and open. I don't know what it was. Uh, I just remember it most especially because we'd have to be out of the house all day. So most often we'd drive for an hour and to the San Antonio and we'd go to the movies. <laughs> so I loved it. Uh, but it, you'd have to be out of the house so the smoke would go and it'd fill all the cracks and crevices of the house and apparently it would get rid of all the scorpions and everything that would try to creep into the house. That fog was the poison that would kill the bugs. It was fumigation. Now listen, I want you to, with that in mind, to listen to Luther introduce uh, the large catechism and talking about God's word. This is what he says. Besides, God's word is an exceedingly effectual help against the devil, the world, and the flesh, and all evil thoughts. To be occupied with the word of God and to speak of it and meditate upon it so that the first psalm declares that those are blessed who meditate upon the law of God day and night. Undoubtedly, you will not start a stronger incense or other fumigation against the devil than by being engaged upon God's commands and words and speaking, singing, or thinking of them. For this, God's word is indeed the true holy water and holy sign from which the devil flees and by which he may be driven away. God's word casts out the devil. It brings light and life and light. And the devil hates the light. So we meditate on God's word day and night, considering it, memorizing it, speaking of it with our family, reading it ourselves, coming to church and to Bible class, and occupying ourselves with this, adding this into our hearts and into our consciences, and by this, sending the demons and the devil scurrying away. And the second tactic is to get rid of the garbage. All the stuff that's hanging around your conscience and your mind and your heart, and it's rotting away and it's giving a place for the devil to hide. This is the guilt over the things that you've done, the shame over the things that have been done to you. We want to shovel it out into the light and toss it out. Now, the best tool, the absolutely best tool that I know of for this is private confession and absolution. 
every morning, every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, or really, look, any time that it's convenient for you, just call me and say, Pastor, I want to hear the absolution. And I'll sit with you. I, I bring the piano bench right over here in front of this pew, and you can sit right there, and we can talk about what troubles you, what's been done to you, what you've done to others. And then you can kneel. We have it in the hymnal. And read, Pastor, I'm ashamed of these things. I confess these things, and especially this. And you know what I say about that sin? The very same thing that Jesus says about it. With my hands on your head, I say, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. This is shoveling out the garbage. Giving no place for the devil to hide. It brings all this, all this nonsense out into the light. And in the light, listen, in the light, we do not find the judgment and the anger of God. And we do not find his condemnation, but we find his mercy and his deliverance and his cleansing kindness and his love. I mean, the devil, the devil wants us to keep all of this stuff stuffed in there because because we're afraid that if it gets out there, that we're going to be cast away from God's face, that he's going to hate us and despise us. But he will not. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. That's what Jesus says. And he wants you to know that. Your sins are forgiven. That he loves you. That, that the devil is overcome by his blood and by his testimony. Now, this is our ongoing fight with the devil, this adding in God's word and shoveling out the garbage. We continue to bring in the rat poison of God's word and the devil flees from it. And we continue to take out the garbage so there's no place for him to hide. And also, the third thing, I suppose, is that we also pray. We can't forget, and this is an amazing thing in our text, we can't forget about that in our gospel reading that this little girl who was demonized was delivered by the prayer of her mother. And in this way, we remember that we are not only fighting for ourselves against the devil, but we are also fighting for others. We're fighting for our families and our friends and our neighbors, the people sitting next to you. We're fighting for each other. And we're fighting with Jesus. In fact, the end, Jesus is the one who fights next to us, fights alongside of us, fights for us and in our place. St. Paul says, and I, we'll, I suppose we'll end here this week. We'll keep going next week. But we'll end with this verse for our own comfort. St. Paul says this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He, God the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins. You saints of demons want to put you in bondage, to, to think that you're in bondage, but you, what St. Paul says, stands true, you have been delivered. Delivered from the power of darkness. Delivered from the devil's authority. Delivered from his kingdom. And transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who keeps us as his own dear children, and overthrows the devil for us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins.
This is our confidence and our peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.